When Jesus came to earth, he revealed to us who Father God is. This message is the third in the series, Jesus, More Than a Baby in a Manger. The message is entitled, The Father. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Then grab your Bibles, if you will, and we'll be looking at the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, in just a couple of moments as we get started into this message called Jesus, More Than a Baby in a Manger. I want to talk to you about the Father, the role of the Father in your life, the Father God in your life today, the mighty God, everlasting Father. We're looking in this series of messages at the whole idea of what Christmas really is all about and the hustle and bustle of our day and age, the materialism that so often is prevalent in our culture. It's important to step back and be reminded of the true reason for the season, the true reality of why we celebrate Christmas. And Christmas, as wonderful as, as it is to give gifts to one another, the real essence of Christmas is the fact that God gave his greatest gift to us in Jesus Christ. So we need to focus our attention on that reality. And the gift of Jesus is a gift that is a phenomenal gift. It goes beyond anything that you can imagine. And what we're trying to do as a part of this series is to sort of, if you will, open up the box that includes Jesus, this gift of Jesus, as we would a Christmas present, taking the bow off of the top and the wrapping paper from around it and opening the box, the top of the present, and looking in and discovering who Jesus is. And Isaiah the prophet, about 700 years before the Messiah was born, he sort of did that for us, looking into history looking ahead into the time that Messiah would come. He gave us these words recorded in Matthew, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He spoke prophetically and said, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his father or ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Again, seven centuries before Jesus was born, Isaiah said, when Christ is born, when Messiah comes, this is how he will be known. People that will get to know him will say of him, he is the wonderful counselor, he is the mighty God, he is the everlasting Father, and He is the Prince of Peace. Four royal titles. Would you say them together with me? He is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Let's do it again if you don't mind. He is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That when you open up the gift of Jesus, you begin to look at Him and see who He is, you'll say, oh, He, he is a wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. When you really get to know Jesus, you'll say, He is the mighty God. And we talked about that last week. He is the liberating Savior, the healing Savior. He's the one that is the supernatural Savior. And when you open up this present of Jesus and really look at Him, you'll discover that He is the everlasting Father. Now, for some of you, you might say, well, it's a little bit unusual for Jesus to be referred to as the everlasting Father because, if you will, technically, theologically, Jesus is the Son of God and there's a heavenly Father, and so why would He be referred to as the everlasting Father? Well, we must understand the dynamic of the Trinity. The Trinity is one in three and three in one, and so God, Jesus is God. He is all of the essence of God is as God is wrapped up in Christ, three in one, one in three. In fact, Jesus said when He was on earth, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
So it's very appropriate for Jesus to be known as the everlasting Father. So what I want to do for the next few moments is to talk to you about what this means in your life. What does it mean when the scripture says of Jesus, when you unwrap this gift of Christ and you look into this box and you say, he is the everlasting father, what does that mean to you? Let me give you four things that I think will bring value to the statement in your life. Number one, it means that Jesus is the father that never stops loving you. He never stops loving you. Nothing describes the responsibility of a, or the privilege, actually, of a father more than love, unconditional love. And every child emotionally craves the love of a father. There's something wonderful that happens in a child when they know the love of a father. There's something that happens spiritually, something that happens psychologically and emotionally in a child when they are secure in the love even of an earthly father. Sadly, some people have never known the unconditional love of an earthly father or the sense of fulfillment from a relationship with a father, but no matter what kind of human fathering you've had, what you must understand is that when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, when He becomes the Lord and Savior of your life, He introduces you to God the Father who takes on that fathering role in your life and He loves you unconditionally. There's no way even to describe the depths, the heights, the dimensions of the love of God. We can't fathom how great God's love is. But one thing is a fact for your life today. The Father never stops loving you. He never stops loving you. And the love of the Father revealed to us in Jesus Christ has a number of different dimensions to it. Let me give you five words or phrases that will help you to understand something about the dimensions of the Father's love. First of all, it means that the Father, Jesus, is always available to you. There's never a time that He is not present and available and accessible to you. And a good father, as a good father, he says, I'm always there, 24-7, 365. You can always approach me. You can come to me. I love the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, 14, where he said, let the children, notice this, come to me. We're all in Christ, children of God. So let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. There's the availability of the Father to you. No matter where you are in your life right now, no matter how dark your life may seem in this moment, I want you to know that the Father of light is available to you. And then he's also accepting of us. The word accepting, there are many definitions for the word acceptance or accepting. One definition is to be favorably inclined towards someone. When you accept them, there's a favor extended toward them. There's a favorable inclination toward them. And the heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, as the Savior and eternal Father, is favorably inclined to you. See, a lot of people have the wrong image of God. They view God up in heaven with His arms crossed and He's angry, looking down upon humanity, looking for you to do something wrong so He can punish you. And that is not the image that's presented of God at all. In fact, we see in Jesus Christ this image of acceptance, this fact that while He may not approve of everything you do, there's an acceptance that He has towards you. See, a father does not always approve of everything a child does, but there's still a sense of acceptance, a sense that you're still in my family. John chapter 6, verse 37, we find these words. However, those the Father, Jesus speaks them, however, those the Father has, give, has given me will come to me. And notice this phrase, I will. What's the phrase there? Never reject them. Isn't that comforting to know today that you're in a relationship in Jesus Christ with a Father that will never reject you? He's accepting of you. doesn't mean that He approves of everything that you do. In fact, many times He disapproves of what we do, but He still has open arms toward us. Thirdly, the love of God means that He is forgiving toward you and me. 
I'm going to talk a little bit more about this one in a moment, but I do want to touch on it just briefly here. We talked last weekend about the story of an adulterous lady who was brought to Jesus during his ministry. The religious leaders brought her to Christ, threw him at his feet, and they expected Jesus to bring about some kind of judgment upon her. They asked Jesus, what are you going to do with her? She was caught in the very act of adultery, and the law says that she needs to be stoned, put to death. What are you going to do, Jesus? So it was a moment where Christ was being tested by the religious leaders. Jesus knelt down to the ground, began to write some things in the dust. We'll talk about that at a later time in terms of what Jesus wrote there. But the accusers, the condemners, these religious people all left, and then the spotlight comes on Jesus and the lady who had been caught in the act of adultery. There they are in this moment. Now, no one else is there. And notice what happens in John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Or one translation adds the phrase there, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There in that moment, when this lady was in her most vulnerable spot of failure, Jesus extends to her forgiveness. What I want you to know is that you serve a father who loves you enough to forgive you of your sins. The father also is committed to you. His love is demonstrated in commitment. Commitment means that the father is with you on your best days and the father is also with you on your worst days. See, real commitment is not just being a fair weather friend. Real commitment is not just being with someone when everything's going well in their life. Real commitment is found when someone is with you in the darkest moment of your life. And so we see that in relationship with God, that Jesus Christ comes to us in a commitment. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is committed to you. Mark 10, 45 reminds us of this attitude of Jesus toward us. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. His role is to bring service service to you in your life. He is serving you. His role is to serve you in commitment. He is committed to you. And then the fifth word I'll give you that really helps describe the love the Father has for you is it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. The word sacrifice means that you're willing to give up something you value for the sake of something else that you place a greater value on in a moment. To sacrifice means you'll give up something for the sake of someone or something else, something of value to you. And Jesus gave up his life. Dear ones, listen to me today. Jesus gave up his life so you could have life. Jesus gave up his life so that you could have forgiveness of your sins, eternal life with him, and peace with God. Jesus sacrificed his life for you and me so that we could have life. John 15, 13 describes this love. The greatest love is shown when a person, notice this, lays down his life for his friends, and this is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. So this eternal father, what does it mean when Jesus says he is the everlasting father, the eternal father? It means that he is a father that never stops loving you, and second of all, he's the father who gives you good guidance in your life. One of the characteristics of a great father is the capacity to give wisdom to their children, to transfer wisdom to them, to communicate wisdom to them. And Jesus really does this. Jesus, as your father, wants to communicate wisdom to you. He wants you to help, help you to become wiser in the way that you live your life. 
Let me give you some elements of this impartation of wisdom so you understand how this works in your life. First of all, it means that he's attentive to you. That means that he's paying attention to everything that goes on in your life. He knows exactly where you are and exactly what you're going through at any moment in time. Right now, Jesus knows exactly what's happening in your life because he can't take you to where you need to be unless he knows where you are. And so he knows exactly where you are today. Now, he has a place he wants to take you in your future, but it starts with where you are today. And Jesus is totally aware of who and what you are in your life right now. He is attentive to you. He is a shepherd and a good shepherd that pays attention to every one of the sheep. He knows you. He's attentive to you today. And then he also, in his attention, wants to teach us. That's what guidance is all about. The best guidance you'll ever get in your life is by being taught, okay? Being taught what is right, taught wisdom. And so Jesus teaches us. Did you realize that every day Jesus wants to teach you something new? That every day of your life and as you go through your day, that Jesus wants you to to perk your ears up and your heart and to listen to him so that he can teach and guide you and direct you and instruct you in the way that you are to live. And if you'll listen, he'll speak. The problem is never with the teacher. The problem is always with the student, right? We as students don't listen. We don't pay attention to our teacher. But Jesus is there with us, attentive to us, trying to guide us and trying to teach us along the way if we will listen. And then part of what Jesus does as our good father is he transfers his values to us. See, that's what a great father does. A great father doesn't just give lectures to to their children, but a great father transfers their value system to their children. And our father, Jesus the father, the eternal everlasting father, wants to transfer the values of heaven, the values of his kingdom to us. Because listen closely. The values of our world are very different from the values of the kingdom of God. Are you with me? What are most people concerned about from a worldly perspective? Possessions, positions, potential, all these kind of things. People spend their energy down here on earth trying to get a better, better set of possessions and better positions and more power and all those kind of things. They're hustling about life, trying to make those things most valuable to them. But the Father in heaven says, no, you need to move beyond what's on earth to the eternal values of, of heaven and to transfer the heaven, heaven's values into your life in the way that you live so that actually we begin to learn how heaven operates and when we live the way heaven operates, operates, we actually help bring heaven to earth because our world needs a lot more of heaven. It has way too much hell in it. Amen? And so we begin to take the values of the Father as He teaches us and as we listen to Him and as He is attentive to us and we're attentive to Him and He begins to download His value system into us and His values begin to dictate our thoughts and our behavior. And then the fourth thing that a good Father does, He always challenges us. He will challenge you. Jesus will never leave you right where you are. He's always stretching you. He's always calling you to something a little bit greater and higher in growth in your life. He never lets you get comfortable. Illustrate this with a a, a scenario that perhaps many of you can identify with. A mom and dad take their children to a playground. Little kids are out there on the playground and there's a set of monkey bars there and the child runs immediately to the monkey bar set and as soon as the child heads toward the monkey bar and starts climbing up the monkey bar, normally, generally, what will mom say? I heard it right over here. Be careful. What does the dad say? Go higher. 
Hang from one arm. Can you hang from your leg? Upside down. And the father's always stretching the behavior. Why? There's something about a dad that sort of pushes those elements in a child and helps them to grow and develop. And, and, and oftentimes there's a nurturing dimension, positively so, because I tell you, if it weren't for moms, us dads would kill our kids, right? Okay, it was like this. Hang off with your tongue, okay? We, we do all kinds of things, right? But there's this balancing dimension that comes along with the mom and dad working with the child, but that dad provides that challenging element, and oftentimes the father in your life, he's going to challenge you to grow in places that you wouldn't normally grow in, but he's a good father to do that for you, so we must understand when the scripture says that he is the eternal father, the everlasting father, it means that he never stops loving you, it means that he's always guiding you, and thirdly, it means he's the father who provides for you. A good father provides for his children. Providing for your family is one of the major expressions of being a father, being a head of a household, taking care of your family. Those are things that go along with it. When you begin to study the stories of Jesus, you find out that Jesus, either through his teaching, uh, through his miracles, through his interactions with people, he was always addressing issues of provision. Commonly, it would come up in his teaching, issues of provision, how God provides In fact, some of his miracles had to do with provision. We talked about one of those last weekend where he provided for 5,000 plus the women and children and he provided a meal for them. So you see the providing element. I want to take you to two passages that illustrate the provision of of God in our lives as our heavenly father. Let me start with Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 31. Notice what it says. These are the words of Jesus. So don't worry about these things. That is, don't, these are some things that you can worry about if you let yourself, but don't do it. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what shall we drink, or what will we wear? All those are the material provisions of life. Are we going to have enough to eat? Are we going to have enough to wear? Are our clothes going to be okay? Are the bills going to be paid? That's the basic idea. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. This is how people who don't know God think. They spend all their time thinking about things. Okay, am I going to have enough? Can I get more? I think about these things. If you're in the world, that's what you think about. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father, okay, notice what's the focus here. It's on the Father. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Isn't that great today to be aware that right now that God knows everything that you need? Okay. And then now he gives us this instruction in verse 33. Before I read it, let me warn you about something. Many of you have heard this verse before. And the tendency anytime we read a verse that we've heard before is to just sort of slip right past it and say, I I know that. Let me encourage you today to not think of it as a verse you know, but think of it in a way that perhaps you're reading it for the very first time. Let these words come alive to you as though this was the first time you ever heard them. And notice what it says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Here is the formula for provision. Here's Here's the secret for provision. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. That word seek, listen closely, it's not a one-time deal, it's an ongoing. Actually, the rendering of that could be, keep on seeking first the kingdom of God. 
not just a one-time thing. See, if I say I seek a bottle of water, when I find the bottle of water, it's fulfilled, it's done, okay? But the meaning of this Greek word is keep on seeking this. After I've found this bottle of water today, tomorrow I need to seek a bottle of water. So I'm ongoing process. Keep on seeking the kingdom of God above all else. One translation says, keep on seeking first the kingdom of God. That is, keep God first in your life. Because there are times that God becomes less than first. He might be first today and second tomorrow. He might be first in one area of your life, but second in some area of your life. So the whole idea is to get God lined up as number one in every realm of your life. So seek first. That's what you and I need to pay pay attention to. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. Do the right thing. And notice here's the promise. He will give you everything you need. Verse 34 says, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's live one day at a time. There's another set of instructions given to us in Luke 6.38. Give and you will receive. Notice, how do we receive? By doing what? Giving. This is, again, one of those values that God gives us. It's different from the world. The world says, whatever you get, hold on to it, okay? God says, no, 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 what you get from me, I want you to learn to give because there's a flow that I want to bring to your life. I want you to be not just a pond that accumulates, but a reservoir that supplies, all right? Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, making God number one, every area of your life, doing what's right. And he was going to, the promise of provision is there. And then as he brings to you, what do you make the choice to do? To give, to keep in the flow of giving so that you're now in a reservoir situation that as you're giving out, God is returning back to you. But Jesus promises as the eternal father, the everlasting father, that he will make provision for you. Last point I'd like to share with you today when we're unwrapping this gift of Jesus and we look in the box and say he is the eternal father, the everlasting father. He never stops loving me. He's going to guide me along the way. He's going to provide for me. And then fourthly, Jesus is the father who will always strengthen us. He will strengthen you. A good father does every, everything possible to strengthen their children, to give them what they need to succeed and to overcome to help them to make it through life in a positive, overcoming way. And this is the kind of father that we have, an everlasting father that seeks to strengthen us. And he strengthens us in all kind of dimensions of life. I'm going to highlight, touch on very quickly, three areas where you and I need to be strengthened, especially. And the Father, God, Jesus himself as eternal father, everlasting father, will strengthen you when you go through the tough times of life. And there are times in life when things are a little bit tough or sometimes very tough. And as we're going through those times, sometimes in those moments, our strength is drained from us. We can lose heart. And Jesus is the one that comes along to give us the heart, the strength that we need to make it in tough times. Someone here today, you're going through a tough time, very tough time in your life right now. And Jesus is the one in the midst of your storm that will give you the strength that you need to make it through. I want to ask you to read with me John 16, verse 33. Let's read it aloud and loudly, okay? I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Let's just put a little pause right there for a moment. Listen as I read it. Jesus said, I've told you all this so that you may have, what does he want you to have? 
peace. So this is important. Jesus wants you to have peace. He wants you to experience peace. Now he makes this statement, continuing to read together. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So Jesus starts out this verse by saying, here's what I want you to experience. And what is it? Peace. He says, I want you to experience peace. I said all these things so you can experience peace. Now, the reality is in this world, you're going to have some trials and sorrows, but take heart or be strengthened. Let my strength come to you because I have overcome the world. The implication there is that if Jesus has overcome, that when we are in Jesus because we have relationship with Him, we too can overcome. And then, of course, this wonderful passage that most of us are familiar with in the 23rd Psalm, verses 4 through 6. Let me read this from the New Living Translation. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist David said, I know the Lord, he is my shepherd. He's the one that strengthens me even when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to fear evil because I know that he is with me. I know that his rod and staff will comfort me. I know that he's going to get me beyond this and prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I know that when I get past this, there's coming a new anointing upon my life. He will anoint my head with oil so much so that my cup will overflow, that this is not the end of my life. I'm headed toward a new anointing. Amen? Let me tell you something. Don't you stop in your valley because if you'll make it through your valley, you're headed to another mountaintop and a new anointing that God has for your life, okay? There's a new anointing. And then he says, my cup overflows with blessing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, the New Living Translation, I think, does a better job in giving us a clearer word here where it says, uh, goodness and unfailing love or mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Actually, follow me or pursue me, the actual Hebrew word that's used there emphasizes uh, the strength of even being persecuted. It's running after something that is goodness and mercy is going to chase you down, okay? It's coming after you all the days of your life, and you will live in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus also is the eternal Father, the everlasting Father, strengthens us in our times of temptation, times when we're being pulled at by the adversary to be pulled off track with God, and the times of trials that we go through that are tough in life, as we've talked about, the times of temptation and trial. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, before I read that to you, let me remind you what it's a part of. It's a part of the Lord's Prayer, or what we call the Our Father. And how does the Lord's Prayer begin all together? How does it start? Our Father. So the entire Lord's Prayer is about who? The Father. It's addressed to the Father, the everlasting Father. And part of what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please notice verse 13 from the New Living Translation. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That is addressed to the Father. Okay. John 17, 15, Jesus is praying to the Father on your behalf. And listen to part of the prayer that Jesus prayed to the Heavenly Father for you. I'm not asking you, that's Father God, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, Paul is talking about his confidence in the Father, his confidence in the the strength of the Father in his life. He says, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. So there's a strengthening that God brings you in the tough times of life and the temptations of life, but there's one more I want to mention is a strengthening that God will bring to you in the failures of life because all of us have moments when we fail. And when you and I fail, the enemy of our soul has one objective. First of all, he's to, it's to get us to fail. And then second of all, after we've fallen, is to keep us down. That's the whole idea of the enemy. Okay, you got to get this. That once he knocks you down or once you fall down in some kind of failure spiritually or whatever it might be, The plan of the adversary is to keep you down as long as he possibly can, to keep you out of the race and to never let you get back up again. That is not the plan of your father. The plan of your father is when you fall down, he wants to help you get back up again, all right? And what the father wants you to realize is that when you fail, failure is not a title, failure is an event. See, the enemy likes to brand you when you fall. He likes to give you a t-shirt that says failure. That once you've fallen, he likes for you to carry and wear a t-shirt that for the rest of your life, what does it say across the chest of your t-shirt? Failure. And you're branded with the mentality of being a failure. The enemy loves, he likes to brand into your brain those words, failure. But what you must understand is that failure is not a title. Failure is an event that you can recover from. Okay? And failure, while you can't do anything about it in your past, you can reverse it for your future. We talked a bit last week about Jesus and Peter and Jesus coming to to the disciples, walking on the water on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples were in the boat, and of course, uh, Peter sees Jesus coming, and, and, and Peter says, Lord, if that's you, let me come on the water and walk with you on the water. Now, let's pick up the story now in Matthew chapter 14, verse number 29. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, and what did he do? He walked on the water toward Jesus. So at this moment, Peter is living in the supernatural. Would you agree, when you're walking on water, you're living in the supernatural? This is an amazing moment. I mean, miracles are happening for Peter in his life right now. He's living in the supernatural. This is an amazing moment in his life. And so he's walking toward Jesus. His eyes are on Jesus. He's walking toward the Savior. He's walking on the word that Jesus gave him. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. And began to do what? Sink. He began to fail. Okay. 
When he took his eyes off of Jesus, everything went south. In the moment that he took his eyes off of Jesus, there was a failure moment for Peter. He's going down, okay? Can I ask you this morning, has there ever been a time in your life where you've taken your eyes off of Jesus? Has there been a moment when one moment you had your eyes on Jesus and you were walking in the supernatural? God was doing some things in your life and then for whatever reason you took your eyes off of Jesus and then you found that you began to sink and every time we take our eyes off of Jesus it's inevitable that we're going to sink okay one thing I love about Peter is that he knew that he knew the right prayer to pray when he was sinking you know one of the greatest things you'll ever learn is to learn the right prayer to pray when you've fallen okay when you're sinking and if you don't know the right prayer to pray when you're sinking it's right here in the Bible would you read the rest of that verse with me verse 30 save me Lord he shouted that's an easy verse to memorize, right? In fact, you likely don't need to memorize it. Because when you're going down, usually those words come out of your mouth, right? Three little words, save me, Lord. It was not some extended prayer. It was not some kind of theologically extended prayer at all. It was just three little words, save me, Lord. Here I am, I'm going down, I, I took my eyes off of you, and now I need your salvation, I need you to pull me back up again, I, I'm going to be lost if you don't come in and save me, that's the idea of rescue or deliverance, save me, Lord, he shouted, there was a passion that came out of Peter, save me, Lord, and notice the next verse, Jesus immediately said, Peter, you've messed up, you're now on your own, hope you know how to swim. It's not what he said, is it? It's not what he did. Jesus immediately, as soon as Peter said, save me, Lord, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. I just want to stop and thank Jesus right there. Aren't you grateful for that, all right? If you've never been in that situation, you can't thank him like you, like you can when you've been there. Realize, my goodness, in that situation, I was sinking. I got my eyes off of Jesus, and I prayed the little prayer, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached down and grabbed me just in the nick of time. He got me right before my head went under the water, okay? Right before it was all over for me, Jesus reached down and grabbed hold of me. And then he said, you have so little faith, Jesus said, why do you doubt me? Now, let me say something about that. Jesus was not rebuking Peter. He was instructing Peter. I believe that Jesus said that in a very tender way. I mean, after all, nobody else, there was 11 other disciples still in the boat. Right? Okay? But what he was doing was teaching Peter that you, you, if, you, if you keep your faith strong in me, Peter, if you keep your eyes on me, nothing will be impossible for you. I'm building your faith through even your failure. Amen? Okay? Even through your failure, I'm building your faith. Jesus is our everlasting Father. As we open up the package this Christmas, we pull off the bow and we tear back the wrapping paper and we lift the top of the box and we push all the paper aside and we look in and we see Jesus. He's more than a baby in a manger. We look in and we say, He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And next weekend we'll talk about the fact that He is the Prince of Peace. Would you bow your heads together with me? Heavenly Father,
First of all, we're so very grateful that we can even use that phrase, Heavenly Father, that through Christ we know you as Father today. How, how appreciative we are of that, Lord. We thank you that you're the Father that never stops loving us. You're the Father that is always seeking to guide us. You're the Father that comes along to provide for us everything that we have need of. And you're the Father that strengthens us, that you're the eternal, everlasting Father. I pray that that reality would settle into our hearts today more than in our heads. Let it find its way into our heart. Let it bring great security to our lives. And Lord, today may we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.